You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a compilation of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. This is uh, the 15th lecture in the series, and in the Easter section it's Lecture 7, entitled Spiritual Bells of Easter, Part 1, The Macrocosmic and the Microcosmic Fire, the Spiritualization of the Breath and of the Blood. Goethe, one of the most inspired spirits of the modern age, has depicted in moving words the power of the Easter bells. In the figure of Faust, he places before us the representative of aspiring humanity, who has reached the bourne of earthly existence, and he shows us how the bright, sonorous tidings of the Easter bells are able to vanquish the thoughts and the power of death, even in the heart of one who seeks it. As Goethe portrays it, the inner impulse given by the Easter tidings has streamed through the whole evolution of mankind. In a none-too-distant future, people will understand through deepened spiritual insight how the festivals are meant to link the soul with all that lives and weaves in the great universe. Then they will feel the soul expanding in a new way during these days at the beginning of spring and come to realize that the wellsprings of spiritual life can deliver us from material life, from the constriction of an existence fettered to matter. Readers aside, I forgot to mention that this lecture uh, was given in Cologne on the 10th of April, 1909. End of readers aside. It is precisely at the time of Easter that the human soul will come to feel something that can imbue it with an unshakable conviction, that in the innermost core of our being lies a fount of eternal divine existence, a fount of strength which enables us to break free from bondage to matter, and without losing our identity, to become one with the source of cosmic existence. At this inner fount we can be resurrected at all times, when we lift ourselves up to it through higher knowledge. The Easter festival is nothing less than an outer sign of the deepest experience within our reach, an outer sign of the deepest Christian mystery. In the outer tokens of our Easter festival today, we can find a symbol of something that at the beginning of human evolution could only be discovered and known in the depths of the Holy Mysteries. Wherever the peoples of the earth celebrated the festival now called Easter, and it was celebrated far and wide among ancient peoples, it grew out of the holy mysteries, awakening everywhere the feeling and the conviction that life in the Spirit can be victorious over death in matter. Whatever was thus instilled into the human soul had in olden times to be proclaimed from the depths of the mysteries. Through the progress of human evolution, however, more and more of the secrets guarded in the sanctuaries 
are now emerging to become the common possession of all mankind. Our studies today and tomorrow will endeavor to show how this feeling and inner conviction forces its way outward in the course of human evolution from the depths of primeval knowledge into ever-widening circles. Today we will look back into the past so that tomorrow we may be able to describe what is felt about this festival at the present time. As Easter is the festival of the resurrection of the human spirit, we must gather our inner strength for such earnest study. Only then can we gain access to a wisdom which lifts us up to the heights of spiritual scientific understanding. Our Christian festival of Easter is only one of the forms of the Easter festival of humanity in general. What the wise men of old were able to say out of their strongest, deepest convictions, out of the very ground of wisdom, about life overcoming death, was woven into the symbolism of the Easter festival. In the utterances of these wise men we shall everywhere find foundations which enable us to understand the Easter festival, the festival of the resurrection of the Spirit. There is a beautiful and profound Eastern legend which tells of the great teacher of the Orient, Shakyamuni, the Buddha whose deep wisdom, drawn from the fountainhead of spiritual existence, glowed with infinite blessing through human hearts. The primal wisdom flowing from divine spiritual worlds, which people had still been able to perceive in ancient times, was preserved by Shakyamuni for a later humanity. Shakyamuni had a great pupil. His other pupils did not really grasp the all-embracing wisdom taught by the Buddha, but Kashyapa, such was the name of the pupil, grasped it fully. He was one of those most deeply initiated into these teachings, one of the Buddha's most significant followers. The legend tells that when Kashyapa came to the point of death and on account of his mature wisdom was ready to pass into nirvana, he made his way to a steep mountain and hid himself in a cave. After his death his body did not decay but remained intact. Only the initiates knew of the secret and of the hidden place where the incorruptible body of the great initiate Kashyapa rested. But the Buddha had foretold that one day in the future his great successor, the Maitreya Buddha, the new great teacher and leader of mankind, would come. And once he had reached the supreme height of existence to be attained during earthly life, would seek out the cave of Kashyapa and touch with his right hand the incorruptible body of the Enlightened One, whereupon a miraculous fire would stream down from heaven, and in this fire the incorruptible body of Kashyapa, the Enlightened One, would be lifted from earthly into spiritual existence. Such is the great Eastern legend, unintelligible, perhaps in some respects, to the West. Like the Easter of Christianity, it, it too speaks of a resurrection, of a transportation from earthly existence, an overcoming of death. The earth's forces of corruption have no effect upon the purified body of Kashyapa. When the great initiate comes and touches this body with his hand, it will be carried up by the miraculous fire into the heavenly spheres. 
but the very aspects of this legend that deviate from the content of the Western Christian account of Easter contain the possibility of reaching a deeper understanding of the Easter festival. Such a legend enshrines an ancient wisdom that can only gradually be approached. We may ask, why does not Kashyapa, like the Redeemer in the Christian account of Easter, achieve victory over death after three days? Why does the incorruptible body of the Eastern initiate wait for long ages before being transported by the miraculous fire into the heavenly heights? Today we can have no more than a faint intimation of the profundity of such things. Only by degrees can we gain some inkling of the wisdom expressed in such deep legends. We must remain at a distance in reverent awe and learn through these solemn festivals gradually to look upward to the heights of wisdom. We should not aspire to apprehend with our direct, prosaic intellect what such legends contain. Real understanding will be attained only if we first allow our feelings to mature and develop so that they may grasp these truths with inner fire and warmth. For present-day humanity, two closely related truths stand like mighty beacons on the spiritual horizon. They are two focal points for those who seek the spiritual at the present stage of evolution. The first beacon is the burning thorn bush. The second is the fire which amid lightning and thunder appeared to Moses on Sinai and through which the proclamation is made to him, quote, I am the I am. Who is the spiritual being who announced himself to Moses in these two manifestations? Whoever understands the tidings of Christianity in the spiritual sense also understands the words which make known the identity of the being who appeared to Moses in the burning thorn bush and afterward on Sinai amid lightning and thunder when the Ten Commandments were given. The writing of the Gospel of St. John himself indicates that Moses had foretold Christ Jesus in the passages telling how the power, which was later called Christ, made himself known in the burning thorn bush and then in fire on Sinai. It was Christ and none other who says of himself to Moses, I am the I am. The God who appeared later on in a human body and who fulfilled the mystery of Golgotha, previously held sway invisibly, announcing himself through the elemental fire of the burning bush and the lightning on Mount Sinai. The message of the Old Testament and of the New Testament is understood only when it is realized that the God heralded by Moses is the Christ who was one day to descend to humanity. The God who is to bring redemption to mankind announces himself not in a human form, but in the fire element of nature in which he is manifest. The same divine being who appeared visibly in the events in Palestine held sway through all the ages of antiquity, revealing himself in many diverse forms. We look back to the Old Testament and ask ourselves, quote, Whom did the ancient Hebrews really worship? Who was their God? Close quote those who belonged to the Hebrew mysteries knew that it was Christ whom they worshipped. 
they recognized Christ as the one who spoke the words, quote, say to my people, I am the I am, close quote. But even if this were not known, anyone able to fathom the deep secrets of nature would realize that the God who announced himself in fire during our cycle of evolution is the same God who came down from spiritual heights into a human body in order to fulfill the mystery of Golgotha. For there is a mysterious connection between the fire kindled in the external world by the elements of nature and the warmth pulsing in our blood. Spiritual science constantly emphasizes that man is a microcosm of the great world, the macrocosm. Truly understood, therefore, processes which take place within the human being must correspond with outer processes in the universe. We must be able to find the outer process corresponding to every inner process. To understand what this means, we shall have to penetrate into deep regions of spiritual science, for we touch here upon a profound secret, a momentous truth, which can tell us what it is in the great universe that corresponds to the mysterious origin of human thought. Man is the only truly thinking being on the earth. Thoughts are kindled in him in a way that applies to no other earthly being, and through his thoughts he experiences a world which leads him beyond and above the earth. What is it that kindles thoughts in us? What process is taking place when the simplest or the most sublime thought flashes through us? When thoughts flow through our soul, two forces are working together in us, our astral body and our ego. The physical expression of the ego, the capital I, is the blood. The physical expression of the astral body is the life of the nervous system. Thoughts would never flash through the soul if there were no interplay between ego and astral body, coming to expression in the interplay between the blood and the nerves. It will seem strange to science in times to come that the science of our day should look for the origin of thought in the nervous system alone. For thought does not originate only in the nerves. It is only in the living interplay between the blood and the nerves that we can find the process which gives rise to thoughts. Our blood, our inner fire, and our nervous system, our inner air, work together so that thought flashes through the soul. Now the genesis of thought within the soul corresponds in the cosmos to the rolling of thunder. When fiery lightning is generated in the air, when fire and air interact to produce thunder, this is the macrocosmic event corresponding to the process by which the fire of the blood and the play of the nervous system discharge themselves in the inner thunder of thinking, which is gentle and peaceful, however, and outwardly imperceptible. Lightning in the clouds corresponds within us to the warmth of our blood. The air in the universe, together with the elements it contains, corresponds to the life pervading our nervous system. And just as lightning in the action and reaction of the elements gives rise to thunder, so the action and reaction of blood and nerves produces the thought that flashes through the soul. Looking out into the world around us, we see the flashing lightning and the formations of the air and we hear the rolling thunder. 
If we then look into our soul, we can feel the inner warmth pulsating in our blood and the life pervading our nervous system. We can become aware of thought flashing through us and realize that both are one and the same. It is really and truly so. The thunder rolling in the heavens is not a physical material phenomenon only. Materialistic mythology alone regards it as such. Whoever sees the spiritual beings weaving and surging through material existence can look upward to see the lightning, hear the thunder, and realize that it is the Godhead thinking in the fire, announcing himself to us. The invisible God who weaves and surges through the universe, whose warmth is in the lightning, whose nerves are in the air, whose thoughts are in the rolling thunder, is the God who spoke to Moses in the burning thornbush and on Sinai in the fiery lightning. Fire and air in the macrocosm are in man the microcosm, blood and nerves. As you have lightning and thunder in the macrocosm, so you have thoughts arising within the human being. And the God seen and heard by Moses in the burning thorn bush who spoke to him in the fiery lightning on Sinai was present as the Christ in the blood of Jesus of Nazareth. Christ, descending into a human form, was manifest in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. In that he thought as a man in a human body, he became the great ideal and example for the future evolution of humanity. Thus the two poles of human evolution meet. The macrocosmic God announces himself on Sinai in the thunder and fiery lightning, and the same God, incarnate in the man of Palestine, appears in microcosmic form. The sublime mysteries of mankind are derived from the deepest wisdom. They are profoundly true, not invented legends. But so profound is their truth that we need all the means available to spiritual science to unveil and reveal them. Let us now consider what impulse mankind received through its great prototype, through the Christ being who descended and united himself with the microcosmic reflections of the elements in a human body. Let us look back once again to the knowledge proclaimed by ancient peoples, right back into the remote past of the post-Atlantean epoch. All ancient peoples knew how human evolution takes its course. All the mystery schools proclaimed, as spiritual science proclaims again today, that man consists of four members, physical body, etheric body, astral body, and the ego, the I, capital, and that he can rise to higher stages of existence, when through the activity of his I, he himself transforms the astral body into spirit self, manas, the etheric body into life spirit, buddhi, and spiritualizes the physical body into spirit man, atman. Little by little this physical body, in all its members, must be permeated so deeply with spirit during our earthly life that that which first gave man his true being, the in-streaming of the divine breath, is itself spiritualized. It is because the spiritualization of the physical body begins with the spiritualization of the breath that the transformed, spiritualized physical body is called atma or atman, 
parenthesis, atem breath equals atman, close parenthesis. The Old Testament says that at the beginning of his earthly existence, man received the breath of life. All ancient wisdom sees the breath of life as that which we must gradually spiritualize. All ancient views of the world saw in Atman the great ideal to be striven for. The breath should become divine so that we are permeated by the very breath of the Spirit. But still more must be spiritualized in the human being. If his whole physical body is to be spiritualized, not only the breath but also that which is constantly renewed through the breath, the blood, the expression of the eye, capital, must be spiritualized. The blood must be laid hold of by a force that impels it toward the spiritual. To the mysteries of antiquity, Christianity has added the mysteries of the blood, of the fire that is enclosed within man. The ancient mysteries said, quote, Man on the earth, living in an earthly frame, has descended from spiritual heights into physical, material corporeality. He has lost what constitutes his spiritual nature and has clothed himself in physical corporeality. Close quote. But he must return again to spirituality. He must cast aside his physical embodiment and rise into a spiritual existence. As long as the eye of man, with its physical expression in the blood, was not rooted in an impulse to be found on the earth, the religions could not teach of the force of self-redemption in the human eye. So they describe how the great spiritual beings, the avatars, descend and incarnate in human bodies from time to time when mankind requires help. They are beings who need not come down into a human body for the purpose of their own development, for their own human stage of evolution had been completed in an earlier world cycle. They descend in order to help mankind. Thus when help was needed, the great god Vishnu descended into earthly existence. One of the embodiments of Vishnu, namely Krishna, unambiguously describes the nature of an avatar. He himself declares who he is in the divine song of the Bhagavad Gita. There we find these sublime words spoken by Krishna, in whom Vishnu lives as an avatar. Quote, I am the spirit of creation, its beginning, its middle, and its end. Among the stars, I am the sun. Among the elements, fire. Among the seas, the cosmic ocean. Among the serpents, the eternal serpent. I am the ground of the worlds. The all-powerful divinity can be proclaimed in no more beautiful or more sublime words than these. The Godhead seen by Moses in the element of fire not only weaves and surges through the world as a macrocosmic divinity, but is to be found, too, within man. Therefore, in all beings who bear the human countenance, Krishna lives as the great ideal toward which the innermost essence of man develops. And when, as was the goal of ancient wisdom, man's breath can be spiritualized through the impulse given by the mystery of Golgotha, we can find redemption through something that now lives within ourselves. All the avatars brought redemption to mankind from above by means of the power that streamed down through them from spiritual heights of the earth. But the avatar Christ 
has redeemed mankind through what he gathered out of the forces of mankind itself. He has shown us how the forces of redemption, the forces through which the Spirit conquers matter, can be found in ourselves. Thus even the supremely enlightened Kashyapa, who had rendered his body incorruptible through the spiritualization of his breath, was still unable to find complete redemption. The incorruptible body must wait in the secret cave until it is drawn forth by the Maitreya Buddha. Only when the eye has spiritualized the physical body to such a degree that the Christ impulse streams into the physical body is the miraculous cosmic fire no longer needed for redemption. For redemption is now brought about by the fire quickened in man's own inner being, in the blood. Thus the radiance streaming from the mystery of Golgotha is also able to shed light on a legend as wonderfully profound as that of Kashyapa. To begin with, we find the world obscure and full of riddles. We may compare it with a dark room containing many splendid objects, which at first we cannot see. But if we kindle the light, the objects in the room are revealed in all their splendor. Anyone who strives for wisdom can have such an experience. To begin with, we strive in darkness. As we look into the world, the past and future are veiled in darkness at first. But when the light that streams from Golgotha is kindled, everything is illumined from the most distant past to the furthest future. For everything material is born out of the spirit, and out of matter the spirit will again be resurrected. The purpose of a festival such as Easter, connected as it is with cosmic happenings, is to give expression to this certainty. If human beings are clear, which they can be through spiritual science, that the soul can penetrate the secrets of the universe through such important symbolic festivals as Easter, then they will feel what it means to no longer be confined within a narrow personal existence, but to live with all that gleams in the stars, shines in the sun, and is living reality in the universe. The soul will feel itself enlarged into the universe, becoming more and more filled with spirit. Resurrection from individual human life to the life of the universe, this is the call that resounds in our hearts from the spiritual bells of Easter. When we hear these bells, all doubt of the reality of the spiritual world will vanish from us, and the certainty will dawn that no material death can harm us at all. For we are lifted again into life in the Spirit when we understand the message of the spiritual bells of Easter. The end of lecture 15.